0: really recognize that you can't take the organism out of the environment you have to look at the environment as well as the organism not feeling like you're 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 losing something but more about like what is interesting and what drives you to do it
1: what's up guys this is matt from the human animal podcast i am here today with a special guest josh halbert get chimpy AKA Get Chimpy, which I want to hear the origin story behind Get Chimpy sometime during this conversation. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um Josh, thank you so much for spending time with us today, dude. Can you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and your background and, you know, if you like pizza or hot dogs or whatever?
0: <laughs> awesome. Matt, thanks for having me on, man. Like uh so it's it's funny, I I want to be on a podcast for like Ever since I started listening to him like just years ago. So like I'm breaking my podcast cherry right now. Oh
1: God. Right. I'm sorry that you have to do it with with with, with us. <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, it's good. It'll be it'll be uh mournfully awkward together.
1: Yeah, great. Um we we so, thrive yeah. in the awkward zone, so that's good.
0: You know, I I think that's where that's where you learn lessons, is definitely in the awkward zone. Um so a little bit about me. Uh I I'm a, I am don't even know what we call ourselves anymore these days. Movement coaches, performance coaches, coaches in general, whatever just seems less pretentious but important, that's what I am. I'm a coach. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm a coach based out of Maryland, and uh, so my background, um, always been an athlete, lifelong athlete, whether it was wrestling, mixed mar- or martial arts in general, uh, traditional field sports. Graduated high school, wasn't sure what I wanted to do, so I was just kind of... Circling the drain of that early 20s, what am I going to do crisis for a while? And I started looking at like what was a constant thing in my life, and it was um, like comedy, making people laugh, and exercise, fitness, and exercise. I've always, always active. So eventually I went down a path, um, going back to school on and off, eventually going to a full time program, graduating with a degree. Um, so that's where the learning starts. Like they say, when you get your black belt, like once you get your black belt, that's when you actually become a student. Mm-hmm. You know, so it never stops ending. So I was kind of out in the world. Um, after I graduated, moved back in with my parents to help build up my book. And ever since then, I've been working about four years in Columbia, Maryland at this gym. It's called Kinetic Systems, Kinetic Systems Strength and Conditioning. And it's a movement-based gym. And, um, you know, my, it's like the way we, uh, my, my whole perspective is just, it just keeps evolving with like the advent of information and the social media that we have. So I'm looking at more of a, assess and correct paradigm that we've been in for the last four or five years, particularly in the industry, as far as like FMS, FMS has been around for a long time. But, um, so we import, we started off with methods of the FMS and then getting into more of reflexive movement, original strength was another system. I was been, I was, uh, I was getting into, and also had the, um, ability to be a part of. And from there, just, you know, picking a bunch of different things, kind of taking the Bruce Lee mentality of like, take, see what works and whatever doesn't work, just leave it all behind.
1: Yeah, and original yes. strength is actually how we first met at uh, the Level 2 mm-hmm. workshop, I think, down in North Carolina, right? Yeah, I remember that. You had a lot of questions. Yeah, I did. I had a lot of questions. I think that was part of when we kind of start talking a little bit after that about some of Andrea Espina's FRC concepts and Ido Portal's concepts and stuff and kind mm-hmm. of how that connected within the bigger picture. And so that was kind of what birthed this, and we actually just had... Uh, an awesome conversation a couple weeks ago going really deep into some, uh, FRC type stuff and nervous system type stuff, which was really cool and sparked the, uh, the idea to do this on a podcast to throw this together. So, you know, you said something interesting just there. And I think, you know, some people who listen to us are going to know exactly what you mean and other people might not. So what -hmm. do you think the difference is between like an exercise based gym and a movement based gym? What do you see as the major differences?
0: Well, I've been playing around with this concept for a while and um, it might be a little spacey, a little ethereal, but I'll definitely bring it back to bring it back to the center. But I think like traditionally, I think in our society, I can only speak from our society because I don't, I don't know what it's like to live in like the third world society. So when I say we, in that paradigm, I kind of mean what we in America, first world societies, uh, we definitely compartmentalize a lot of things. So we're like, okay, I'm going to go to work. I'm going to work for eight hours a day. I'm going to go to the gym, I'm going to segment, I'm going to, um, all my movement slash exercise drills into like one hour. And I'm going to spend the rest of the time with family, with kids or just doing everything else. So I think when you go to an exercise based gym, if you even want to call, I don't know if we can even like split it, like exercise versus movement, but I think a lot of times in in the industry and just in people in general that want it, there's a real fitness craze. Now I think people just really kind of take they like okay i'll be sedentary for a while they don't think this on purpose but they're like they're gonna be sedentary then they're gonna move for an hour and then they're gonna be sedentary for a long time and then and then they just repeat the process but um i think when a movement based gym what i try to teach is more of a lifestyle change more of like looking at movement as a way to just um as an expression of how you're living and so just trying to cultivate little pockets of movement throughout the day in addition to coming to train with us and i think um I think it's better. I think like I think that is a better approach because little things done over time are going to definitely pay dividends than just um, one block of movement. Keep going. It's better than nothing. Don't get me wrong, but I think the the industry is starting to head. Hopefully, I think is starting to head towards lifestyle management and really re- recognize that you can't take the organism out of the environment. You have to look at the environment as well as the organism. That's what I've been playing around with a lot lately.
1: Yeah, it's almost like uh, exercise is the prescription that's trying to, the supplement that's trying to overcome the lifestyle. <laughs> it's aspects, a great analogy. The right? yeah. uh, movement is now we're broadening our, our scope to look at what your movement looks like the entire day. Mm-hmm. Right. Including those little pockets. So yeah, I like that dude. I yeah. Like that so,
0: you know, what's interesting. is like I've been having this like idea in my head the last couple of months. Is like, I almost have to kind of lure people in to be stronger and performance based stuff in a sense, like people come in there because they want to get stronger, they want to get over pain, but really they're coming in there to learn, and I mean this in like a super like holier than thou way, what we do, but they're learning how to almost re learn how to be a human being again or for the first time, learning what it means to eat a decent diet, manage, I think the biggest thing is managing your stress and like being able to like if you, if you have, if you're going to a job that you hate eight hours a day and you don't eat well, then like it's no wonder you can't touch your toes in mm-hmm. a sense. You know, some people can don't get me wrong, but like, there's all these things that are factoring in to back pain, lack of uh, movement, dysfunction and starting people off with moving better and getting them more aware of their body is great. But I think the ultimate goal is to set up a life where people are just happier overall and they can. And, and this is just the catalyst for getting to that direction.
1: Yeah. It's movements, a powerful keyhole. It's a keyhole. into a that other things. Yeah. yeah. And I've, I've found that too. We have a, uh... On the podcast, we've talked about like these six factors, and obviously there's just too many to name, but we start off with movement, food and water, rest, mindfulness, community, nature. Those are like the six things we start with, and I I feel like I can – movement is my keyhole because that's my expertise, but you could enter into this world through any of those, and it could lead you to something similar. I think it's also interesting you know you're talking about helping people craft um a happier life or more fulfilling life for them for themselves uh how do you do that without putting your happiest lifestyle onto them you know what i mean mm-hmm. where you're where you kind of like predetermined, like here here's here's what works for me here just just try all this stuff
0: <laughs> um i gotta admit some of it is like that because it's like you explore new things and you want to tell people about them, right? So, um, for me, uh, I try to distill what I'm doing into more principle based things that find you joy and like make people happy, but also fulfilling and meaningfulness, and and kind of steer people towards that direction. You know how it is. Like with, you're not just a coach. Like it, it can be so dynamic. Sometimes you have to be their friend. Sometimes you have to be a motivator. Sometimes you just sit there and listen. Like so, all that whole dynamic is constantly. In my, I almost look at it like a fractal pattern. It's constantly changing. It's constantly evolving in there. And so when you're connecting with people and you're, you start to learn, like, where, where they are in their life, you start to understand and see, be able to see maybe suggestions that you have for them that would help them. Like, oh, like, I have one person. She's a great client. Um, she's been with me for a couple months. Uh, overweight, herniations in the back. She's getting better. Her injury is fine now. It's just now it's, like, the memory of the injury. And like getting away, like rehabbing now at, for her is like mentally feeling like she's better and not expecting, you know, the shoe to fall off the other foot and her to just snap her back. And you start to notice that she has pain flare-ups when um, she's got family issues that come up. You know, her her and her parents aren't the best relationship, so it's constantly like this this almost balance or like a slack line of like emotional um, stability and. So just trying to find, and she doesn't like her job too. So she wants to write. She's a good writer. She thinking about taking the plunge and trying to apply to other jobs. So me, and what I would try to do is just encourage her to do that. Give her momentum, like start applying to other jobs, hopefully find something you like to do. That's a So you're not stuck somewhere a third of your day where you don't want to be. And um, to me, that's, <clears throat> that's part of the rehab process. That's, that's helping change the, the, uh, the environment of the organism.
1: So, it sounds like you've had an experience where movement can be a heuristic, can be like a, a litmus test for all these other things that are going on. It almost comes out in your movement.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you, I'm sure you have clients where you see them warm up and you go like, well, oh, this person's had a bad day. Yeah. Like, We <laughs> yeah. just tell. And uh, so that kind of stuff, like, I think you need to you need to wipe the system. Like those kind of people who come in, you know, happens to everybody. You need to focus a little bit more on breathing in the beginning of the session. Because mm-hmm. I've had those days, I learned for myself. Like if you're really stressed out, you're not moving quite as well. So you're forcing things, the more likely, the more you force things, the more likely you are to get injured. So it's really managing the nervous system as best as we can. I mean, we really try to facilitate change by, by giving them an environment to learn in.
1: Yeah. I think that's an interesting uh, point, you know. I think we as coaches, and because we've kind of come through this journey of uh, self-exploration, self-discovery is kind of what movement has been for me, what I think it's been for a lot of other coaches. Um, but one thing I've noticed recently is that there's still a tendency to for people to feel locked in or almost too reliant on a program or a coach or someone else it's like they don't have trust in themselves and they don't mm-hmm. feel like they can modify something. There's almost that that mentality. I don't know if you've experienced it where if I see someone having that bad day and I'm like, hey, let's just breathe. Half the time, that person feels defeated. They're like, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't do like the super intense workout today.
0: He put me on breathing, great. Yeah, he put me on breathing. I'm, <laughs> I'm in the
1: remedial class now, right? Uh, and then there's the other right. half of people that, that are kind of... They're like, oh, thank God. Thank God you're not going to make me do this today. I, it feels mm. so good. And afterwards, they feel amazing. And they're just like, that is exactly what I needed. But there's kind of that uh, fear line of like, what am I missing out on if I don't do this certain thing? Or if I don't stick to RX, the prescription, exactly how it is.
0: Is that what that means? I, I've I've seen that for years. I just quite don't Rx understand. RX,
1: prescription. Yeah, as prescribed.
0: Okay. There you go. Wow.
1: I'm yeah. Dropping Appreciate. knowledge bombs on you. It's good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so like CrossFit doctors, they're exercise doctors and they're yeah. prescribing yes. exercises. Yeah. Interesting. Um, no, but uh, you're right. So, and this is where uh, I was talking to my buddy Joe about this a couple nights ago. And he had a really funny way of saying It's it like, we're we're trying to give you an environment to learn and we're not, I mean, this isn't like a circus where I'm like, I, sh- I say jump through a hoop and you jump through a hoop. And then you just, you kind of wait all the time for my directions. Like you, that's why you have to empower people with knowledge you have to empower them with with education so that they can take ownership of that as well so hopefully i mean some people are just going to have that attitude because that's just who they are about like they don't want to take a step back even though they take they know they take a step back they're going to take a step forward um but i think the biggest thing is like having people see the connections like all right your back hurts right um but when we lay down and breathe for five minutes your back pain goes away so what is that really telling you? And I, that's not saying that there's not an injury there, but I, I'm starting to re- even appreciate more how much of it, like life is like that cerebral cerebral, like neurological experience because they're having, they're just anxious. Like, I think we all have neurotic holding patterns that we hold. And when, when, when shit hits the fan in our head, um, they tighten up. Like your body tries to find like pain is, I think Perry Nicholson said it best, or is it Perry Nichols? Perry Nicholson. That Nick Nicholson. Yeah. So the best is that um, pain is a pain is a signal to the body that there needs to be change.
1: Mm. Right. Yeah. So speaking of central nervous system, okay. so we're talking about, you know, movement, essentially being and you're talking about give people the environment to learn. We're Absolutely. saying that movement is a motor solution to an environmental situation, right? An environmental context. So you're putting people way, yeah. you're putting people in an environment providing the context for them to be successful and find their own motor solution. Sometimes that environment also involves feedback from you. Right? That involves feedback, not just setting up the scenario but providing uh uh feedback from the coach. But one thing I've seen a lot uh that you've been playing around with recently is uh float tanks. <laughs> right? So float tanks tanks ties right into what we're talking about, about, uh, if the nervous system's overactive or if we're having, we're just overly stimulated all the time, have so much signal noise all the time that can be really disruptive to our system. Mm -hmm. And so kind of like a balance point for you is float tank. And can you kind of explain what float tank is and and what you've been finding with it? Yeah,
0: I I was, uh, yeah, I'm glad you asked because I could talk float tanks all the time. So um for those don't that know the uh when we say float tanks we also mean sensory deprivation tanks, if anybody's heard of those before. Um <clears throat> they've been around for about fifty or sixty years and they're starting to gain more popularity. Um, particularly in this kind of almost like a consciousness exploration renaissance that's been going on in our culture. Um I'll get more on that later, but so a float tank itself is basically you're in a tank, it's about eight feet long, four feet wide. They all come in different sizes, but just the one I've been going into. Um, it's a Samadhi tank, so that's the brand that makes it. But in the, in the tank itself, there's about 10 inches of water, and the water is heated up to the same temperature as your skin. And the water itself is filled with about 800 pounds of Epsom salt. And it's in a completely uh, pitch black environment. So the idea is that you, for the first time ever, you're in an environment where there is nothing coming. There is no sensory input coming from the environment. You don't feel the water. You're floating, so you don't feel your body. You don't smell anything. Your ears are underwater with earplugs or without, but you don't hear anything either way. You, occasionally, you'll hear your breathing. And uh, you're pitch black so you don't see anything. So you have nothing coming in. So I've been trying to find analogies because you talk about, like, things you're excited for and then projecting them on your, onto your people. Like, I, I get really excited about it because I'm seeing the changes in it, and I've been talking. I've been trying to get some of my people to go. I've had about three or four people go, and they all love it. Um, but it's almost like you have a phone, and in the background on the phone you have applications. And those applications, even though not, you're not quite using them, they're still running. So they're updating constantly, like, your location, your trending patterns. Um, you know, your preferences, all these, inf- all this information in the background is being transferred and your brain works a lot like the same way. It takes in all the, all the sensory inputs in the environment, like what your feet are doing when you're standing, temperature, smell, sight, hearing all that stuff. So when you take that out, just like when you close all the apps on your phone, you free up so many resources in your brain and in your mind. And then from there, it becomes a seminar on like self-awareness and, and who you are as a person. What are you going to do when you're floating around the dark for an hour and a half to two hours? Are you going to freak out? Are you going to think of reasons why you're not going to get enough air? Are you going to remember that time your dad yelled at you and now you've been overcompensating for the rest of your life? Like there's so many different experiences people can have um, in addition to the physical benefits of it as well. Because you're you're in uh, Epsom salt, you're having a lot of um, magnesium being absorbed through your skin you're, uh, you're in zero gravity. So you're not, you're not really feeling your body. So I always like the best analogy I can come up with is that it's like resetting the odometer on your monkey suit. So when you get out, like you just don't feel your body anymore. You just like that, that back pain you have or anything like that. It's, it's, or any kind of, you know, um, residual tension I may have sometimes when I overtrain or or when I'm moving or when I'm stressed, all that's gone. It's like taking that etch-a-sketch and shaking and you have a clear picture and it really makes me appreciate how neurological pain tightness really is
1: mm. it's like it's it's like that uh clear before and after where you can just totally appreciate how much of a change something just like shutting down for a while makes and it's weird because it, I mean we never shut down anymore we never ever shut down. I know you brought up you know your phone. I uh, I have a personal, like, love-hate relationship with Apple. Like, I love Apple, but I also blame them for our, my lack of attention. <laughs> uh, they they decided to come in and steal all my moments where I just had to sit and think. Now I don't have to sit <laughs> and think. I can just be entertained, you know? You
0: need to think about more interesting things, maybe. Yeah,
1: maybe, you know, like... You know, maybe it's that's weird. what ADD is all about. Yeah. Exactly. Well, you know... I've noticed recently that when I get the chance to go on vacation for a weekend and I stop thinking about work and I'm just totally absorbed in you know, chasing my son around by the lake or whatever it is, inevitably uh, we're driving home and that's when I have my most creative outlet. I'm just like, oh my gosh, I have to write this stuff down. I got this, 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 and this. It just is a flood of information and i'm like man it would be great if i could be productive all the, you know this productive and creative <laughs> all the time and yet i still ha- struggle to create that shutdown time in my life to have the benefit of being creative i feel like you know we're always trying to run at 100 miles an hour all the time right and mm-hmm. and that's really <clears throat> you know you're talking about this movement culture and all embracing these ideas of uh central nervous system and and kind of helping people lead a more fulfilling life i think i've come i've been in this industry also about four years now a little over four years as a coach Mm -hmm. and the realization i've come to in the last six months is is really for me like balance that idea of balance is the term i keep coming back to that i'm Mm -hmm. i'm here to help fill the gap in people's lives or help bring them back to the center And the thing I like about that concept of balance is it's not passive, it's active. It's always rebalancing. You're always coming back and moving back to something else. And there's going to be moments when you need to focus on one extreme in order to get back into the center, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I find that, uh, you know, how do I, you know, help people embrace that? concept of balance i think is the best thing that i can do to help guide them or coach them or train them do whatever it's just it's tough though it's tough to find all those variables
0: it is i mean parallel thought like yeah i I think it's almost like because you're on the outside of somebody's life you're not biased by their life and you can see where they make and maybe can make better turns and i've been really playing around with, with the phrase in my head micro decision And I I like like the idea of like, there's so many micro decisions we can make throughout the day to make our life better. And, um, it's just being aware of them and and making sure we make the decision that we want to have the outcome we want. So for me, like it it comes down to like input, like, you know, listening to, or subjecting myself to the podcasts or YouTube videos that I feel like are going to, you know, help improve me and, and make me think about the world. and. in in, in new and interesting ways, making sure I'm talking and hanging out with the right people. Like, um, just not having people that will, you know, drain you of your energy or people who are constantly always like in like a pickle and they need your advice. And then they never listen to your advice, like not wasting your time on those kind of people, making sure you're eating the right food, making sure that you're, you know, there's so many little things you can do throughout the day and they're going to, they're going to lead to where you want to be. And I think just like making people aware of that. And don't get me wrong. Like I, I'm, far from finishing when it comes to that, you know, I still make like small little uh, bad decisions. I feel like all the time that are just inefficient to what I'm, what my goal is. My goal is just to live that fulfilling um, as stress reduced life as I can. And um, so you're right. You, you kind of have to teach people like, and bring awareness to these decisions. And like, I'm sure you've had clients too Well, they'll they'll be taught, you know, they don't have like necessarily super positive people in their life and they're asking you like what they should do. And I'm always like, just get rid of them if they're not, if you don't need them, like if you don't, if you don't need to be around them, like they're just, they're going to hurt your cause, you know. So it's, I think, like you said, community. One of the things you said, the six things was community, like giving your, like trying to forge a community around you of people who are going to inspire you to be better or who are going to be encouraging or bringing the best out of you. I think that's a big thing that, uh, that we miss out on.
1: Yeah. It's almost, you know, we kind of do, we touch on it just so briefly in our intake. There's like that uh, uh, social support questionnaire. Do you have someone in your life that would be willing to, you know, help you out?
0: <laughs> you um, like your friends.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's such a powerful part of it. And I think that's one of the coolest things about being a part of a gym is feeling like you have the chance to put a stamp on a culture and a community and then realizing how much, like for me, I, I see it, especially in this group. I have a, a class called, we call Ninja Academy, right? And Next. it's just like a bunch of adults being kids again, essentially. So, mm-hmm. um, but within that, we have such a strong culture now that that, uh, that community instantly you, you come in, you instantly know if that's a place you want to be or if it's a place you don't want to be. And what I thought, I was kind of like, I had this image in my head when I first started of what I wanted it to be. It's not that at all, and it's way better because other people came in and changed the picture mm-hmm. and added their own unique stamp. So I just, uh, I don't know where I would be without the people that I get to train and interact with on every day. Like I learn as much from them as I feel like I get the chance to, to share with them. So that's, I think what's kept me in fitness is those relationships and community. You know, I love movement. I'm a a movement freak, but the reason I coach is because of relationships. Mm.
0: No, that's a great point. That shows you like why, like something like CrossFit has become such a juggernaut in the in the industry because they're able to kind of play on that herd mentality like primate instinct that we all have to just belong or stay connected or to follow an alpha or just to be led um so if you can definitely find ways to forge that in your own gym but also have what like kind of guide and teach people to forge that outside of the gym as well like making sure they like i said they have the good people around them like Again, it's all changing the environment for the organism in the be- in the best direction. And um, oh, so speaking of feedback, right? I want to go back yeah. to that flow tank. Yeah. Um. One of the things I'm also appreciating with the flow tank is that it, it relaxation is a skill, mm. and it really it's underutilized skill. I don't. I mean, there's like fast and loose drills from like strong first or or, or in the kettlebell community. I think that was a great step to like be able to to incorporate. Relaxation into your workout, and that's simply where in between sets you're literally trying to shake your limbs loose of the tension that you have built up. And um, but even taking it a step further, learning how to relax in the tank. Uh, what's interesting is that you want to be as still as you can in the tank because if you move at all, you're going to feel the water move on your skin, and that means you felt your body, which means that there's input coming into your brain. So you get this really instantaneous feedback, uh, like a tool, like anything else we would do with teaching people a mistake that they're making. You get this instant feedback. That if you're moving and you're then there's some kind of there's some kind of um, there's some kind of tension somewhere and you're almost defeating the purpose not defeating the purpose, but it's taking you away from the main goal, which is to be completely untethered, to be separated from the body so that you can have, um, in my opinion, a true out of body experience when you get when you get relaxed enough. And on my last float, I, I realized myself like I got to this point where I was really relaxed. I was I was almost having some like in a good way, some like hallucinations. In a, in a pitch black tank, I was seeing light and cool stuff like that, and having like these like almost like epiphanies of just one after the other after the other. And then I also realized that there's some there's some like neurotic tension that I'm holding. And even though I'm still like once I made peace with whatever insecurity I'm going through, that is my body would just twitch real quick. It would shake. And I think it was happening for two reasons. One, I think like like I told like I alluded to earlier, like we all kind of hold tension in our body in different patterns and whatever I was holding on to may have just released. Another thing is that, um, when I did that, it moves the water. So maybe it, uh, your brain will start to create cognitive busy work to distract you. So, you know, it'll make your face kind of itch you know, oh, you You're it. or it'll twitch the body. Um, and then it brings you out of that moment. So the lesson I got from that time was like in a really simple environment like that, it's really easy to see how I distract myself. What about in complex environments like normal day life? What do I do to distract myself from being mindful in the moment in the what some people are calling now the deep now where you're just completely in the moment and you're making the right creative decision after the right creative decision after the right creative decision? So it's it's really been like an a enriching journey into like how I operate. And I think that that can carry over to everybody else when if they can have um, an experience like that.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it's interesting, you're exploring that non-boundary between mind and body, mm. right? So we always think of mind and body as two separate things. I think we're all one mess of a thing. Right. <laughs> one jumbled mess of a thing, um, which I think that's part of this. I threw this concept or this term out uh, at you before, but this idea of warrior poet, right? Mm the mind and the body blending together. And I think it's really interesting that we're seeing in the movement community and in your own journey so far, how much movement becomes the backdrop for this deeper psychological exploration. Right. Right. Um, How do you find those two things play off of each other for you? You know, like how, how, what, what is the connection that you found between your your movement self and then your your other brainy self (laughs) the higher self the higher self there you go um well when i particularly after like float
0: sessions um I'll, i'll go i'll integrate so i'm all about like just if you're having if you're having like a therapeutic experience if you're getting soft tissue work done if you're getting like dry kneeling treatment in my opinion it's it's always best to integrate like learn how to move the body after you've reset or you've taken care of some issues whether like I said like for me in the float tank it's a very I don't know if there's quite studies on it yet but it is a very therapeutic experience and um so when I'm clear and I come out of that tank and there's no there's no tension in my body and like everything just feels new feels like I got a new car um I go drive it so I definitely move a lot and um when you're free like that I I feel like the kind of moving I, I, I do a lot of is just based on like intuition and, and what I want to work on in my head, like skills I want to work on or things like that. And I, I think it adds to the improvisation of just moving your body, learning how to move and, and learning like what your body does in certain instances, how it balances, if it's in this environment. And um, I think it's a really powerful tool to integrate because like I said, if you're, if you're constantly on that high threshold, high stress end of the spectrum all the time, even though you can possibly move well, like there's plenty of people who are still pretty stable and, and, and pretty, uh, pretty bendy and they still like type A personalities. But if you can kind of dial that back even more, I think you're going to unlock more of your movement potential. And this is just one tool to do that.
1: Going into intuitive training. That's another thing that's really fascinating Mm. to me. Um, and something I continue to explore and, try to teach it's interesting to try to teach intuition and kind of trust (laughs) trusting you know what how you feel and what you do because so talk talk a little bit about what you mean by intuitive training i think it's kind of self-explanatory but you're you're essentially meaning you move how you feel like you want to move in the moment and you kind of you're exploring you're kind of in that deep now state within your movement Mm -hmm. and you're playing like Oh, what if, what if I did this or what if this happened or what if I transitioned to this thing? And so you're not necessarily going out and saying, okay, I need to integrate three sets of 10 squat, bench, press, let's go. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. um, I think, I think, I think, you you know, on the head, it's, it's basically like I, I came from a very rigid structure, like very program based reps and sets percentages um, I did some powerlifting in my late teenage years. And even when I got to more of the functional movement side, I was still very in this rigid program of like, especially my early to mid twenties, like if it was on the paper, I had to do it that day. Mm-hmm. Regardless of how I felt, maybe my HRV was off or like maybe I was, you know, and I could pull it off because I was in my you know early mid twenties. Uh, but then I got smarter about it. And I just started to kind of take this whole approach of just play and exploration and like, you're not who you do. You are who you are. So, like, not having this kind of identity attachment to, okay, I need to get 315 on the back squat, five sets of five today. My back's kind of sore, but I still need to do it. You know, that kind of, like, just taking that out. And um, I remember when I went to my CKFMS, which is not a certain anymore, but uh, Brett Jones is teaching it. Great instructor. Um, he's a chief right now at Strong First um had, i've had the opportunity to watch him teach several um several several seminars and they've all been great he shared an antidote this one about how he was going to he was lifting with some pretty strong guys he's a strong guy himself and he was doing some deadlifts and he was going for his last triple and there are a bunch of guys around probably you know four some hundred pounds in the bar and uh he went to go pick up his first one he gets down in the position he just lets go and stands up. He didn't even, he didn't even um, pull the bar up. And he goes, and the guys are like, Why? Why don't you do that? And he goes, Didn't feel right. Doesn't feel right. Why do it? Mm-hmm. And that was like a catalyst for me. This is like three, two or three years ago for kind of leading my training to more about how I'm feeling and, and more about in that playful state like what feels good, what feels right. Now I have goals I want to reach. Um, I'm just in no rush necessarily to get there. And I'd rather explore and kind of reach those goals through general those specific goals through general means because i'm working on the entire body as as a whole and I'm, I'm able to just express it in a certain specific way either right off the bat or if i maybe i have to put a little bit of more specific time into that but i'm not necessarily trying to specialize i'm always specializing in learning so in, in, in like um implementing different methods and and just understanding that a lot of stuff does have more carryover the more you can control your body in certain ways the more it's going to carry over in other ways now certain things have a higher priority with that more dynamic movements you have, like take for gymnastics, for example, um, they're ridiculous. They're, they're like probably the strongest pound for pound and mobile, stable athletes that we have in the world, high level gymnasts. And, um, because of that, like they can do things that other people can do who are specialists, but those specialists can't do things that they can do. Not even yep. close. Yeah. And they just have this great movement based platform. So why not take things like that or, uh, Things like capoeira or um, even, yeah, even some general kettlebell movements, throwing them in there and kind of like working on the whole and seeing where my body is that day. That's where I'm that's where I'm at now and exploring new things. Um,
1: It just sounds like yourself. You've you've more set your priorities, right? You've more well like your priorities shifted or like your perspective shifted hmm Right? Right. Because that's kind of how I feel, too. Like, I, I, there's skills that I want. My, my training, I think of it as almost completely play now. Mm-hmm. Um, there are things I continue to do just because they feel good, and I like doing them. So, there's some repetition sometimes. I mean, recently, for me, it's like I'll have one thing maybe every month that I'm kind of like, yeah, I want to try to hit that more because that's really interesting to me now. Like, I want to learn this vault. So... It's not work for me. I just am, like, obsessed with learning this thing. So I'm going to hit that at a higher repetition rate. But everything else around it is totally based on how I'm feeling that day and and what feels good and what even just feels interesting. And part of it for me, it was this big moment of learning just to let go. Let go of the fear of non-structure. I had been within structure so long that it became... Uh, a prison because anything outside of that structure meant no progress, no knowledge. You know, it's that, that fear of the unknown. How, well, how am I actually going to be able to track all this and know that I'm doing the right thing? It's the fear of perfection. It's the fear of losing perfection and controlling all the variables. Um, And so for me, again, like my movement journey Became this thing where once I made that realization within movement, that applied to everything else. Feeling like I can be more in the moment, trusting my instinct, listening to the signals I'm getting from my body, being free to explore and play and change directions quickly uh, within my training without fear of what I'm missing out on, just excitement for Mm -hmm. what the next step will be
0: that's huge yeah that 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 last part is is so big it's like not feeling like you're 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 lose, losing something but more about like what is interesting and what drives you to do it um i think that's a big that's a huge thing with uh intuitive training just training in general is I, I feel like there 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 are set rules that are placed upon us um about like you need to have a certain deadlift percentage of your body weight like double body weight or you need to do this you need to do that and some of those are good goals, but they're not the end-all, be-all. And this isn't just a pick-on barbell training. <clears throat> Anything that's like <clears throat> overly specialized. Now, if you're a special hand balancer, yeah, you need to be – and people are paying you to watch you be able to balance on one hand and, and juggle and all that kind of stuff. You need to be specialized in that. But typically, like hand balancers, for sure if you give me a hand balancer who's really good, that's a great moving platform, I could teach them a whole other array of skills because they probably move really well i mean they're going to do inverted splits on one arm and, and and in my opinion keep it into what we call a low threshold strategy so th- they they look relaxed while they do it and i think that's a big thing too is not pushing and not s- straining in your training not forcing yourself like live in that like 80 effort like just learn play and once in a while if you want to push the ra- boundary push the boundary and you'd be pretty surprised but if you just kind of live in that explorative Non, um, I think, like I said, forcing things through because this is who you are. Like, wow, I saw Edo portal lizard crawl and I'm gonna try and lizard crawl, and it's a really complex movement, but and I may not be ready for it, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna like really try my hardest to do it and I'm gonna like make funny faces and I'm gonna try to be all mechanical about it and blah 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 versus like taking a step back, just to use that as an example, seeing what the requirements are for that movement and just kind of finding those different shapes in the individual movement and incorporating them. But doing it from a place of just learning, like if you're, if you're too stressed in the movement, you're not going to learn, you're just ingrained what you have. And if what you have is shit, then that's what you're going to just practice is that. But if you can take a step back and regress, and I think that's in a big way where things are missing, particularly in the industry is that like, yeah, great. Like we're, we're getting to a more holistic based movement training system, but like, I still see a lot of boot camps where people are crawling and their heads are down, their hips are everywhere. You can see in their faces that they're straining. Like we're getting better at what to do, but we're not getting. We're still behind. A lot of people are still behind on how to implement it and how to meet people where they're at. And that's a big thing, I think, with play and intuition is just knowing where you need to be and and knowing where where that wave of challenge is and where you can surf. Whether you're a little bit outside of your means or you're not challenged enough, right about there, I think. And that's like the big thing, I think you're going to see the industry push hopefully in the next couple of years is more towards that motor learning aspect of it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's that if you're under challenged, you you don't, you don't grow. If you're over challenged, you, you injure yourself, right? It's Mm. floating in that little in between wave up and down, which to me just sounds like balance, Josh. I'm just bringing it back to balance. balance is where it's at i can Um, i can just frame everything so uh taking balance and speaking of it literally more um one thing if you guys check out josh on instagram that's probably the best place to find you would you say right now
0: yeah right now instagram um a facebook page get Chimpy, get Chimpy.
1: so i want to hear where get Chimpy came from but uh hand balancing or if someone wanted to get into hand balancing, that's something that's really popular now in movement culture. A lot of people are doing it, wanting to Mm -hmm. get that handstand. Um, What has your experience been coaching handstands? How do you bring people in? What are the things that you look at? You're talking about setting ego aside and being okay to regress and play in order to build back up into that movement you want. You know, what kind of things are you looking at for people? uh, when they want to start getting, you know, exploring that shape.
0: Sure. So I think some of the biggest things is uh, one of the biggest thing is definitely comfort, like being comfortable upside down. Like if you're talking most people, most people do not spend any kind of time in an inversion, meaning like their hips are higher than their head or even in a handstand. So as soon as they jump up, like we're spotting them and we've gone over the shape I want them to go. So that's a lot of hollow positions because you typically want for a handstand your body to be, as straight as it can be, so your ribs are down, your glutes are active, and your toes are pointing because you're trying to get the longest lever you have because while you push in the ground and get length, that's how you get strength. So we've gone over that. We've laid the foundation about the particular body shape that we want for the handstand. The next thing is just making sure that they're going to be comfortable upside down. So some of it – I have some of my athletic guys. They'll just – if they can, if they get safe, I'll have them kick up. I'll spot them and we're just going to work a little bit on breathing and then we're going to come back down. And of course, like the first couple times their face is super red and <laughs> their eyes are bloodshot. So part of that is like, you can definitely cannot do anything when you're not comfortable. You can't learn new things. You can't really appreciate the nuances of a movement if you're just constantly surviving it.
1: Mm-hmm. Another thing
0: would definitely be wrist flexibility. Um, with texting and everything else, we, we typically do not have great mobility in our wrists um, and the, the less wrist flexibility you have, meaning wrist extension, the more you're going to have to make it up for somewhere else in the chain. Maybe your elbows, your elbows can't get straight or your shoulders are really far and forward. uh, Your back's really arched. So working our way up the chain, making sure they have great overhead capacity with no compensation or as best close as to a little compensation as we can considering the structure and who they are as a person. Making sure that uh, the wrists are intact and that they understand the body position. And when you have those couple things intact, the learning becomes a lot easier. Now, people learn at different rates, but it's you're not taking two steps forward and one step back all the time. As far as you start to lay the foundation, they're going to learn that, that, that moving better.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've no, I know I'm the classic case of uh, lack of wrist extension, mm-hmm. especially on my right wrist. So when I was initially trying handstands, I was just in the mindset of like, oh, I got a decent overhead press. I really like gymnastic stuff. I'm just going to go into it. Uh, and I'd kick myself up against the wall and essentially just lock myself into a position. Because I, I had no ability to explore that position or go anywhere because mm-hmm. I, I couldn't lift a finger. You know what I mean? I'm essentially braced into the wall holding right. the handstand. Um, and even when I got away from the wall, the lack of wrist extension limited my ability to rebalance, come back to the center... Um, and limited my comfort in that position. So I felt like I was stuck for a year, maybe at the same, same, essentially the same handstand time I could kick up for 10 seconds or whatever it was. And then I'd always come down and be like, man, why can't I, what can't I learn here? Why am I not getting any better? My first jump was original strength, Mm -hmm. tapping into the resets and starting to do more of the vestibular system stuff all of a sudden. Felt more comfortable being upside down. Felt like I had more awareness. The second step is the step I'm on right now, which is uh, looking at the body in a more joint by joint approach and being like, "Yeah, if you don't have wrist extension, you're not going to be able to learn how to do it." So, be my be my coach for a second. Mm-hmm. What's your what's like one or two quick things you you would give people if they notice they don't have wrist extension? And what Josh is talking about is if you just raised your hand up and pulled your wrist back. Can you get close to a 90 degree angle? Yes, no. If you can't get close to a 90 degree angle when you go up overhead, you're going to have trouble. So if you were a right. waiter who always dumped the pizza off the front of the tray, that'd be a that'd be a problem.
0: That's a great analogy. Um, well, one thing I always want to tell people too and something I have to remind myself is that there's no quick fixes. So, uh it took you a while to to have bad wrists and it's going to take you a little bit of time to get good wrists.
1: Josh, I want it now. <laughs>
0: Uh, we can jam it into place, and then I can take an Instagram picture and say we did it. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I typically like just, just spending time in that position. And and so if we're on all fours in, like, quadruped position, leaning our shoulders past our wrists, so we kind of start to feel that stretch and spending time in there, making sure that we're not going too far, that we feel like things are ripping or we're going <laughs> to possibly hurt ourselves. But there definitely does need to be a little bit of discomfort sometimes. In, I, I in thought extreme tearing range was motion. part of stretching. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> for most people that or they make an uglier face yeah um but i, I would i like to kind of come up off my i don't know if i can describe this but i start to lean forward and then i start to come up off my palm i'm still on my knuckles and while my my uh, my wrist is past mean my shoulders are past my wrist i lower back down onto my wrist still in that extent instant extended phase so that way i'm kind of straight i'm going slow so i'm starting to strengthen the eccentric of the wrist
1: yes i got gotcha. you
0: in that range of motion um that's a big one and doing that every day i would say i would give you one thing to do and my second thing would be do that as much as you can a little bit every day uh with intolerance and you should start I, to notice i do first. something
1: similar on the wall right hand on the wall come up and then drop down, pull myself back into the position into extension, come up, mm-hmm. pull back down. And then I'll even pull down and then try to lift up the other way. Mm-hmm. So I'm actively pulling here, seesawing almost back and forth. You guys can't see us probably cause this is an audio podcast, but it doesn't matter.
0: <laughs> Hopefully we described it well. <laughs> um, but yeah, ba- basically also like, you know, pivoting off of what, uh, Dr. Spina says about when the FRC, like you definitely want to have that control in that end range. So you need to strengthen that control. It's not just about like sitting there until your hand gets numb for 30 <laughs> seconds passively <laughs> and then going to try a handstand. It's slowly building up the tissue tolerance because tissues take a while to build up. Um, and uh, on top of that too, like like you're talking about handstand, gymnastic stuff, like we human beings, we're bipedal and we have, we uh, our vestibular system controls Pretty much how we interact with the environment all the time. Uh, so, things that will, will make gravity feel different or will challenge that, they become novelty to us. And those are great ways to learn and to play and to, and to start to um, explore your body is adding balance into it, whether it's in handstand or it's just simply tightrope walking on a two by four, that's challenging for you. Uh, that kind of stuff is going to get us more into that whole flow state that a lot of people are seeking these days, which is interesting. It's like the where the brain starts to downregulate other parts and start to ramp up uh, different parts. So you start to take resources from one and put it more into the other so you can get into that, what we call the deep now or that focused state. And that's, I think, a big reason why handstands are really appealing for me is because things slow down while I'm in that handstand. And I don't think about anything else except just the moment. And the more things you can foster, the mindfulness that we keep talking about and keep bringing back, the better off you are.
1: Yep, it's the whole thing tied together. And I'm really interested too, you know, um, I think that kids, I I got two things. First thing I was going to say before was kids twirl all the time. They want to be flipping, twisting, cartwheeling, turning around bar. I mean, they just want to do anything that is kind of like whirly twirly. They love it. And it's interesting because I have had a number of adults come into the gym recently who are like 50 now, like in that age range. And they're like, well, got to give up my roller coaster membership because, you know, roller coaster club membership because I just can't do it anymore. I'm like, oh, well, no. Vestibular system is a trainable reflex. We can get that back, buddy. Yeah. Um, so I just think it's interesting. I see kids is like, that's a, a, you talk about novelty. When he's, when Josh is saying that, he's just saying the brain learns in new situations. It pays extra attention when we're in new situations. So if you can do something that's different or new, that's an awesome way to learn. It's why I like tra- telling people to train outside when possible because in nature, you have so many new variables and novel variables and surfaces and angles and what the, what your vision is taking in, sound, everything. It becomes a novel situation and it can help people learn better. I have a, we had a coach um, who also was a co-host with us on this podcast. Uh, his name's Nate. And one day, I saw him try to teach someone to deadlift, and they just couldn't get it. They were stuck. But when we, it looked like they they could get it, but they were just like stuck in this pattern. And all he did was tell them to turn around and face the other way. So they were looking the other end of the gym, and all of a sudden, boom, they got it. Mm. And I was like, oh, very clever, Nathan. <laughs>
0: Changing one thing—it's um, the nervous system is very easy to affect. It's just you know what the what are you trying to affect, and is is it going to be repeatable so that the changes actually stick? That's a interesting story about that. I mean, I can see why I can see why that would work. Yeah. Um, but you're right, that novelty is definitely what we're learning, and and challenging the vestibular system on a on a consistent basis is, um, I mean. I've been playing with this idea, like you can be too strong for your own good. Like I've known, I've had a, I had a guy I worked out with when I was a teenager. Um, we all kind of power lifted together, and he was a Baltimore City cop. And this is, he was, a, he was a gorilla. He's like 200 pounds, 220 pounds, like squatted like 600, deadlifted five, and like bench like four, like just a, just a man of a man. And um, one day he went to, uh, he went to go uh, catch somebody down the street, and he sprinted after them, and he tore his hamstring off the bone just oh ripped it off yeah so i mean this is like 10 12 years ago i mean uh when i was in that powerlifting stage but if you look at it now like he he was just too strong for his own good he didn't have enough stability globally stronger than high tension but he was too strong for his own good and it ended up costing him you know his career eventually because he couldn't get better he was at a desk job and now he's doing something else but it was just a really telltale sign for me like good antidote of just like there is almost a limit on strength if you can't support it but I would never say like that person moves too well or that person has too much balance. Like I don't think there's really a ceiling for that mm-hmm. like there are for other things. Like If you look at most guys who have to deadlift 1,000 pounds, the amount of effort and the specialization they put into that is impressive. However, the concessions and the things they have to leave behind, like the fact that they've probably walked around with a lot of tightness, the very specialized, the things they lose, um, it, it, it's a shame, but they're too strong for their own good a lot of times. If they're, if, they're, if they're outside of the realm of just deadlifting, most of the time I could see something similar to that happening about taking a sprint. Now, I don't know people's training, but the whole point is like people don't – you can't move too well, and you certainly can't have enough balance. You always can get better at those things, and those things help translate over to other things like strength.
1: Mm-hmm. So I think another thing that would be interesting to explore is, you know, I, I've if you also look at Josh's – Instagram, he trains a full spectrum of people, everything from bendy gymnasts to NFL players, right? And I see that you have, in some of your videos, you're using similar methodologies, right? Just applying them in different ways to people, to mm-hmm. those to those populations. So I'm interested in, in your take on you know uh what i think would be for most people they would be surprised i guess i would say to see an nfl player on a set of rings mm. right right yeah so i would do you want to talk about that a little bit i think yeah
0: yeah sure that'd be great um so you you kind of have to you you have tools and you have methods but the the foundation of those are principles you need a principle-based approach so when you have principles it doesn't really matter what you're doing with the tool as long as you're still staying true to that principle and some of the things we look at is like we have to manage the nervous system so we have to cover breathing and, and making sure that we are fostering people and we're giving people the environment to uh, to learn and so it's not too stressful they need to have good postural control control their head control their spinal column and they also need to make sure they have good communication between their their shoulders and their hips that X pattern that um is very popular these days and when you have that then you have to start looking at like where the person's at in their own movement in their own in their own environment um and then from there it's just like look every, a lot of us have the same demands like you, everybody has to be able to be, sta- be to be stable and whatever it is people need to be stable they need that they need to have that ability to reflexively stay, uh, stabilize in any kind of situation whether you're um i had a woman who was 68 yesterday i was training in the morning she needs to be stable, so just for her own safety. But she also likes to dance. She likes to have all these forms of expression in her life. So she just needs to make sure that she's nice and stable, and she has good control that she can go over. Like you're saying, a football player, he needs to be stable. Now, the implement you want to use, it almost becomes a side conversation because as long as they're, it's within their range of, like, it's not too, uh, it's not too stressful. So they're actually learning. Mm-hmm. Um, they have good postural control and you're working on if not you're starting to restore the or improve the connection between the shoulders and the hips um then we accept to look at other things like specific injury history and things like that a lot of my um a lot of my football players i'll 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 implore gymnastic um concepts with them making sure like some of them i have some of my alignment they're doing handstands and handstand pushups against the wall now this is all under the assumption that they can do it they're not there's no pain there's no injury any kind of shoulder pathology and they've worked up or and progressed to that level and i know them long enough so again all context but yeah there's no reason why they can't do handstand push-ups if it's safe because that way they're working on body control they're getting that vestibular input they're working on overhead pressing they're working on um hollow positions and same thing with like my little kids they're they're they need to work on their handstands too if we're looking for that like upper horizontal pattern but even if we're just looking for an awareness drill as well um so i just think like the methods that you have, it's just all it's all gonna be within your principles. Figure out what your principles are, and then based off of that, you can train anybody. You can train a surfer, you can train an old lady, you can train um an overweight client, you can train all these people um with principles.
1: Yes. So when does your book come out?
0: When my, my book come out <laughs> <laughs> man uh just instagram right now it's the easiest way with my schedule
1: you know i i know i uh i finally figured out instagram about two months ago and i was like oh it's micro blogging i don't have to sit down and like worry (laughs) about the post and like i can make spell check spell errors and it only is like 15 seconds and people will actually watch it yeah it's micro blogging
0: it's great though i mean uh, some people they want to put the time in to edit and they'll have these longer blog posts and there's that other mediums for that but uh you know, I, I have to, you know, social media is like a two edged. it gets a lot of flack and it should, because it, it definitely feeds into our narcissistic tendencies as human beings to be neuroses. Yeah. Yeah. And slaves to our biological ego. Like you need to have an ego because if you didn't have an ego. You wouldn't want to brush your teeth because you wouldn't care about yourself. But there's like a line like where your ego goes beyond a point where it just becomes about self-preservation and goes into that like self importance and, and all those other things. And, um. see so social media will play into that, but I've met some amazing people because of social media. I've learned some amazing things as far as movement and principles. I wouldn't have gotten the opportunities I've had to teach certain things or to do certain gigs because of social media. Uh so there's there is some suck, but there's also some good stuff too. Surrounded by Instagram. Well, that,
1: and that was one of the topics I I wanted to touch on because your social media presence was strong. Is is what about? the novice mover who's now coming onto social media and mm-hmm. it's just so much, inf- there's so much on Instagram. There's so much on Facebook. There's so many blog posts or like the new trainer. How do you navigate through that without becoming just totally inundated? Right. Mm. Or is that even an issue? Is, you know, cause there's, I think it it's almost like you said, principle based if you have your principles and you go in and you look at what something is, you can see how it would apply in certain situations. The problem is a lot of times we're just, I feel like people come in and they jump methods Mm -hmm. and they try a bunch of different stuff. And maybe that leads into more intuitive training and play in a good situation, or maybe it leads to paralysis by analysis in like another way. Right.
0: Totally. Like I go through, you have to go through different stages. Everybody has their own journey and like, for me, I definitely have to kind of immerse myself into something – I have to immerse myself into something to understand it and then kind of go to that go to that extreme and then be able to go back to the middle a little bit and find my own center again. But that that extreme definitely changed where my center is, and I added to that, and it, it, it all comes back down to this principle. So for the, the people that are just starting out, I mean learn a lot continue to question things and, and find figure out what your principles are. Figure out what, what you think movement is and what what are truths to you. And they'll probably get like you know, they'll probably get proved wrong because they were for me. And I thought I knew some principles. And then eventually over time it just trial and error, you're gonna learn what 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 works and what doesn't work. As long as like you're safe with your people, like you're not trying new things because uh, new people and that you you know that you're not sure if they can do them or not like that's where you get into that kind of like recklessness irresponsibility but those people who are doing that anyway are just, are just idiots regardless of social media they just they would have done it if you wrote them a letter about doing dumb exercises and they would have just followed that too or saw it in a magazine um but yeah there there is a lot there's a lot to absorb and it's kind of weird because like there's almost like this weird movement relevance where everything is good but there is some bullshit out there there's fluff like you look at it and like, okay, like we talked about earlier, like what context is it done under just because you're doing these exercises, if it's putting that person in a stressful environment, are you just trying to give them metabolic busy work or are you trying to improve movement? Like what is the goal? What look what look what the person's doing and, and look how they move and look how they coach their people and what their reasoning is for and start to make sure see if it's if it makes sense. Does it hold up to some scrutiny? Do they can they justify what they do? That was a big one. I was like can you justify everything that you do? and then like why, why it's there. Um, and it's, it's, you know, I, uh, on Facebook there's, there's like older trainers who are bitching about newer trainers on social media, but they're using social media to do it. You know, like, <laughs> Oh, like new, <laughs> it's like a, now we've kind of come full circle into like this get off my lawn old man rant that I'm, I'm seeing new older and older coaches do. And, uh, yeah, there's just there's so much out there and it's cool, it's all coming you can almost see trends, like people will it's all it's like you would almost see like whatever was written on at T Nation people are gonna do next week. Like, you know, like Eric Cressy says you need to do this exercise, so I'll walk into the my uh into a global gym and next week after that I'm seeing people do all these exercises. Now they're kind of go, hopefully they're going in the right direction. They may not be doing them well or may understand why they're doing them, but people definitely have a tendency to just kind of follow along with the pack. I think if you have your principles, you're going to be able to keep that anchor in all this like flow of information. You're going to know like what's good, what's not good. What can I apply? What do I like about that? What can I take away from that? Why I would never do that. Why I don't think that works. All these sorts of things. You just have to ask questions and you have to learn. There was a point when I was a young coach, I actually read too much. I was reading strength coach i was reading teenage i just read so much that i it was i couldn't figure out what i wanted to do too many blogs and i didn't i stopped reading for like a year or two and worked and just continued to work in the trenches and that was better for me and then i, I saw i read a little bit now Or i'll read these micro blogs on instagram and I'll, I'll absorb a little bit and i'll move on but sometimes you can read too much believe it or not they like can get too
1: caught I, up in it i was there i was there for like six years I felt like anything it was the, and this is the application of the fear of training. I felt like anything that I missed on social media, any blog post or that i was I was no longer gonna be the perfect you know the best that I could be because I missed something. It's that same fear that Exercises I feel like I keep on doing yeah, yeah it's the exercise I'm not doing, it's the information I don't have, and what I found is that I read a lot and absorbed very little. Mm. because it was always about finishing something and getting to the next thing Mm. rather than deeply understanding and applying a concept. And that was something I had to learn in in education in general. It was something I had. It was a problem, I think, maybe stemmed from the school, from, like, how school is structured. Learn the stuff for the test. Do a good job. Move on to the next thing. Do a good job. Move on to the next thing and i felt like uh it was interesting for me i went to school for for japanese and physics and uh and i really enjoyed it but when i got out of school and started getting into fitness and training because it was self motivated it was exploratory and fun for me i learned and retained so much more information in such a shorter period of time
0: so what do you think was like the big change where you started to stop reading blogs and go more for experiential learning?
1: Um, honestly, it was, it was a recognition that uh, I was becoming paralyzed, that I was in that paralysis by analysis state that when someone asked me a simple question on the floor and I started running through, five different coaches, their systems, and how they would address this question in each of their unique systems that I was just sitting there like, hmm, and they'd be like, oh, no, I put you there. I put you in that state. It was like, that's probably a problem. That's a problem that I now am outsourcing my coaching to this second brain that exists only in blogs. You know, I, I need to be here with this person, react to them, and trust myself. I mean, this is the big thing. It, it, it all comes down to mm. you do the work, you put in the work, but there's a point where you need to trust yourself for having put in the work. Um, And that's the same thing with movement. I mean, it's like I said, the thing I love about this is just that it. I feel like these fingers spread out into all these different areas of our life if we let it.
0: Um, Let the records show that Matt is actually doing a finger spread out. Yeah, motion I am. It's spreading. It's
1: really kind of creepy. <laughs> I can try to do a little.
0: <laughs> it's
1: like no, a you know fish. what?
0: Honestly, like I know how it is. Like it's almost in a way like you you you're so humble that when somebody asks you a question, the first response is, "Well, it depends." Yeah, and then you have like five contingent circumstances of how all the outcomes can be different and you start and then you, you're like, well, which one to say? Like, it's almost like you feel like you're on, you're on spot and like somebody is going to judge you who, for your answer, but really that your, your client or somebody is just answering you a very simple question or maybe even a little bit like a more complex question that you do know the answer to. You just want to make sure that you cover all the variables in that answer. And it becomes like almost as it becomes like uh, it causes some stress. Yeah. Yeah. That's part of the learning process. You know, yeah. that still happens to me occasionally is that, I mean, somebody asked me a question I'm like, "Well, I mean, it could be this, it could be that. It doesn't. There's four different things it could be, and like being able to just kind of distill that into something that is useful for them.
1: Exactly. Can be challenged sometimes. Do not sound like, uh, Charlie, Brown's teacher, right? not sound like uh, Charlie Brown's teacher, right? And they're like, "What did you just say? Yeah, I didn't get any of that. Thanks, though.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like you said, having that confidence, having that um, that belief.
1: Yeah." You know, and it's also guys, right? I, I found i found that, you know, just personal growth in everything is also uh, a waxing and waning of that. Like, I'll go from a period of being like, yes, I've got this to oh, shit. I don't know anything. To, <laughs> yes, I've got this. And it's just, that's also balancing and rebalancing back and forth. You're,
0: you're right. I feel like sometimes I forget more than this is going to sound really, like really cocky, but I forget more than a lot of people have learned. Like there's there's so much information out there and so many tools like the other, like a month or so ago, I, I remember this awesome stretch that I got a couple years ago from the FMS, like four or five years ago called like the bretzel 2.0. And I was like, Oh yeah, I love that stretch. (laughs) And, uh, I was like, I completely forgot about it. And there's so many things like that. And like you said, like, you're like, I don't know if that's the right way to do it. I don't know if that's the wrong way to do it. And it's really easy to get caught up in all that noise, but it's not, I mean, as long as you're not car- causing harm, that's the first thing as a coach, young yeah. coach, old coach. Like, don't cause any harm. Don't make it the situation worse.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And if that's like your, if you keep that as your number one intention, Boyle had Mike Boyle had a great thing and said, "You never really appreciate safety until you first hurt somebody." Yeah. And putting somebody in an awkward situation, which I think is uh, very, could be a very educational experience. Is when you maybe you progress somebody too fast and they they hurt their back for a couple of days, or maybe it's something even more serious. But when you start to when that happens to you as a coach, it's like then you really start to appreciate like progressions and taking the time and, and being a, – as a coach, not being attached to trying to get your clients to swing a kettlebell in a couple sessions or or whatever it is. Like, oh, I'm a great coach. I'm going to get them to progress like this in a certain amount of time. And, and it's – as a coach, you have to step back with your ego.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So – let me know. Let's let's just hit a couple more questions. And then I think we just need to bring take this to a part two, dude. Because this, this is All already right. about as long as any of our podcasts have ever been. Uh, where are we um, at? Like an hour? Uh, we're at hour and 15. Wow. I know. Okay. That's good. It um, yeah. Where, where does Get Chimpy come from?
0: <sighs> where does Get Chimpy come from? So Get Chimpy, um, I would say about five, five to seven years ago, I definitely got more into loving the concept about how we are all really primates and we're all apes and we're, what is it? 98.6 or 98%, 99% share the same DNA as the chimpanzee. And I think um, for me, it's become more of an acknowledgement over the years of the fact that we are still very instinctual animals and um, we still act a lot on instinct and we're still very controlled by our reptilian brains. And I think a lot of our, um, Decisions are actually made subconsciously more than we like to think. However, the beauty is that we have frontal lobes. We have access to our higher selves and, and get chimpies more of that acknowledgement to the fact that like we can be playful um, and we're like human beings themselves are are capable of incredible cruelty or incredible kindness. And it, it's this dichotomy I think that causes a lot of, I would say existential angst for human beings that they, they they're not even aware of um people they lash out at other people they have these knee-jerk reactions a lot of that i think is just very primal based and it's not an excuse but it's like it's like that warrior poet it's understanding who you are and, and acknowledging that and yeah it's just it's a it's more of a push to try to get people back to moving and and playing and, and trying to foster that entire mindset because kind of, you, if you ask me a month or two later I'm sure the definition is going to change. It's it's ongoing, <laughs>
1: but, but that's where it kind of that, came that, from. that's cool. That resonates with me. Like uh, the human animal podcast is kind of similar that way. Like mm. we stop we stop looking at humans as animals and stop looking at all the factors that we would you know look at with a, another animal. Their environment, everything else, uh, social interaction, all the things that make up their health, diet, movement, everything. Uh, we stopped looking at that as humans because that compartmentalization, right, separating things out. So it was like kind of a call to get back to that. So I, yeah, that resonates. That's cool, man. Great.
0: Yeah, it's hard not to. It's hard not to compartmentalize. I mean, you're born into a culture of momentum that's constantly pushing you forward, and it's like you're just born, and everybody's already walking, and everybody's already moving towards direction, and like as a as a person um we're all going in a direction as a society as a people as a species as a planet we're all going in this direction and you just get dropped down right in the middle of the, of the upstream and you're expected to swim in the same direction um so it's really hard to get caught it's really hard not to get caught up in what we're doing but i always i've been playing around with this idea of just always being mindful of like what is going on like i love space because space humbles me I, I we could talk cosmos for like we could do like part two on cosmos but I love watching space because it's so easy to get caught up in like being late for work or thinking that this person doesn't like you. But the reality is that you and I are two shaved chimps on a rock that's hurling around a giant nuclear explosion in space around other rocks that are hurling around other giant nuclear explosions in space around like black holes. And mm-hmm. So none of this really does matter in the end. Like, yes, I, I, biologically, I want to feel important. I want to feel cult- culturally relevant and I want to leave a lot behind a legacy. But in the grand scheme of things, like I'm going to go back to being hydrogen, iron, and whatever else stardust is. So it really, it almost takes the pressure off me as to be comfortably insignificant.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's another. That's an entire another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> last, last yeah. question, really quick. Sure. You know, if you had to just add one thing to people's movement cocktail, that you would love them to go out and try. This week, what would it be?
0: Oh, um,
1: not necessarily this week. If you want him to take more time and ease into it, that's fine.
0: Yes, Uh, I would say if I had to do one thing conceptually, I would say trying to do trying to make hard things look easy is so. If you're going to deadlift, just because it's easy to quantify, if you're going to deadlift with something like eighty five percent of your max or something like that, or anything you're going to do, whether any kind of movement, try and do it with as little effort as possible but enough to maintain good form. So if you're going to do a deadlift and you can do it well with 75% of your effort, but you're in the habit of always being really t- and like lifting with a hundred percent of your effort, try and get it done with as little effort as possible. Because I think you learn to be stronger while doing less and you start to develop these different gears. If we can use a car analogy of tension and you don't just have, I'm, I'm not doing anything or I'm using all my effort. And then you have you have like this the spectrum, and if you can broaden that spectrum out and actually stay away for the most part of, the, of that ninety percent effort where you're just surviving things, and start to kind of hover around that fifty to seventy five percent of just play and exploration. I think most people are going to get a lot out of that. The door is opening behind you, and it was kind of scary because I didn't see anybody. Hello,
1: and there's the little guy.
0: <laughs> oh, his son's awake. The podcast yeah. is over, guys. Yeah.
1: Oh uh, well. Josh, thank you so much for being here and uh, for spending your time. I'm glad we got to do this. We'll definitely do it again soon. And uh, I will uh, let you know when the podcast goes live on the website. Send you links so you can put it out on social media. Again, if you want to follow Josh, get Chimpy on Instagram or Facebook are the two best places to reach you right now. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, And guys, if you want to remember, we're at the Human Animal Podcast on iTunes. You can email us questions. If you have questions for Josh and you and you feel like you just feel more comfortable asking me first, you can always email me at thehumananimalpodcast at gmail.com. Right, Rowan? Can you say something? He's not going to say anything yet. <laughs> we'll wait for his podcast debut. Um, thanks, man. Thanks for being in the conversation, and uh, I appreciate your time big time.
0: Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me, and I'm looking forward to doing it again.
1: All right, man. Take care.
0: All right. Have a good one. Bye. <laughs> See you.